This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 185, Ayurveda for HSPs. If you're highly sensitive or you're a yogi that goes, 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 and then burns out, or you get overwhelmed and then become avoidant, all while you know deep down that you could use a little support, that you crave to understand yourself better, or you'd like to be more confident in the way you show up for yourself, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Samantha Adar. Samantha is an Ayurvedic health counselor and nutrition PhD. She is the founder of Spiral Collective, where she offers holistic wellness counseling and programs for busy humans who want to improve their health, access more energy, and uplift their spirits. Sam is also an RYT 500 yoga instructor, and she's been teaching and coaching about Ayurveda and yoga since 2014. She lives in Buffalo, New York with her husband and son, and she's the happiest when she's by the sea. If this episode helps you in any way, you can share it and help someone else on their journey. Leave a review on iTunes for them to find the episode or the podcast in general, or share your takeaways on social media. I always love to read your takeaways on the episode, so you can take a screenshot of the episode, share something you've learned, and tag at on and off your mat podcast to make sure I see it. All right, if you're ready to learn to flow with nature for better health and well-being, let's get to today's episode with Samantha. Hi, Samantha. Hello, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So for listeners that don't know you yet, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Sure. Yeah, I'm Samantha Attard. I live up in Buffalo, New York. I'm an Ayurvedic health counselor and nutrition PhD. And <laughs> makes you say like, and I'm so much more than that. I'm, you know, a mom of a, of a three and a half year old. I love to garden. I love to be out in nature and out in the world. And it is like a fabulous, wonderful journey to be here. I have been practicing yoga. I realized International Yoga Day was yesterday. And I realized I've been practicing yoga for 18 years, which feels insane because like we're now at the point where it's for more than half of my life that I've been practicing yoga, which feels really amazing. And I've been teaching yoga and teaching on Ayurveda and health since 2014. So that's been a while. And it's been a beautiful, life-changing journey. Mm -hmm. I bet. I love that. So for our listeners, we've had an episode on Ayurveda, but it's been a minute. It was episode 42. And at I think today we're recording 184. So it's mm -hmm. been a long time. So mm -hmm. let's start with like the basics. What is Ayurveda and how does it approach wellness or health and well-being in general? Yes. Can you give us a little intro? Yeah. So Ayurveda, it's from the Vedas. It's a Vedic science. It's highly related to yoga. It comes out of Sankhya philosophy, similar to yoga. And Ayurveda is a system of health and well-being. It has many aspects to it. So on the one hand, you know, Ayurveda, you know, wrote the first book of surgery 5,000 years ago, and it has recommendations and studies for pregnancy, childhood, old age, you know, just general well-being, but it also has limbs like Jyotish astrology, which is the Vedic astrological system, as well as Vastu, which is the science of similar to feng shui. Most mm -hmm. folks are familiar with feng shui. So it's a very comprehensive science. It's the science of life. That's what the word means. And this approach to health and wellness, it is rooted in nature. 
you know, explain it like, you know, if you take a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or any of those, you know, wonderful, powerful systems, but also arbitrarily chosen, right? Enneagram decided like, we want to have four categories or we want to have seven categories. Whereas when it comes to Ayurveda and we talk about understanding people and understanding health and our well-being, it is based in the laws of nature. So it is not in any way, you know, so-and-so doctor, whatever decided blank. It's like, no, no, no. This is how earth functions in the world. This is how fire functions in the world. This is how air and wind functions in the world. And that's how we then begin to understand our bodies, knowing that our bodies are the microcosm, the universe is the macrocosm, and there the macrocosm is reflected in the microcosm. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, Ayurveda is how does earth function in our body? How does fire function in our body? What do we see when we think about those play of the elements? That's all really theoretical, (laughs) but then you can bring it into the practical, which is just to say, you know, what food could be most helpful for me in this moment, right? We were just talking about the weather in Costa Rica being very different than what's going on in Buffalo, New York. And so different foods are going to feel better in your body at different times mm-hmm. because you exist in the context of the world around you. You exist in the context of your job and your relationships and your community and your family background. I love how that is a super simple way to explain Ayurveda because you can get down into rabbit holes of complications, I think, really easily. But like to just remember that you are made of the same thing as the world around you, you know, that you are one of the same and that you function throughout the elements and in conjunction with nature. I think like already that people can really understand what that means without having to understand all the details of everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love that. And most folks, if they hear of Ayurveda, they hear of the doshas and these classifications that we use to essentially categorize people, but knowing that we're categorizing how earth and fire and air function in the world. And that is very important and and can be very useful to understand, but it doesn't have to be the only way that you understand Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think in some ways that's limiting. And in some ways it's very helpful if you're a beginner, you know, it's like, it's a a box that you're like, okay, here's like your first level, like go play in this box. (laughs) And then once you're comfortable in this area, like let's expand a little bit more and like remove the limitations that are naturally put in when you describe yourself within a constitution or a dosha the way you said it. Well, I think that's so beautiful. And, you know, I first learned about Ayurveda in, I think it was 2007. It was just a lot less widely known and there was a lot less information about it and information known about it here in the West in pop culture. Obviously, other yeah. <laughs> many other people knew about it. But to say that as a beginner stepping in, right? The first thing that people hear about in their minds is Ayurveda. Okay. So what's my food list? Which foods am I supposed to eat and which foods am I supposed to avoid? Right. And it's been a very interesting journey. And in my training, my Ayurvedic health counselor training, which I did with Hale Pule based out of Bali is that actually don't need to eat according to food lists. That actually there's a way that you can eat that will be pretty generally balancing for all three doshas. And Mm -hmm. yes, You might make some changes and tweaks in it, but it is not the case that someone with a certain dosha, say vata or pitta, has to be completely eating in opposite ways. And that we kind of created these silos 
because that's sort of how the Western mind thinks about these things. But if we actually get back to the science and to the actual root of Ayurveda, they don't all have to be so separate. Yeah, because in the truth of things, like we don't have, or I don't believe we have like one constitution and you're done. Like we are a bit of everything. It mixes, it changes with the seasons of life and the season of actually nature. And you can have imbalance in all three, even though you might have tendencies towards one or two. Like it's not like you're locked into Vata forever. You're locked into Pitta forever. Like it's going to change. So if you put yourself so tightly in that box in the long run, it's not going to help you. Well, it just becomes another attachment, right? Being in that box, you know, getting into like kleshas, right? Like there's raga, like there's that attachment, your stuckness of, oh, I am vata. And so this is what I do or, oh, I am pitta. So this is how things work. And it's a fun, difficult practice to also sort of release some of that at points to be knowing, okay, I have these tendency things that I know will help me feel better, but also I can't cling to this because clinging to it is not helping. Yeah. So I think that's a nice intro and kind of caveat for where we're going, because we are going to talk about doshas and constitution and general things you can do and food and all these things. But that's kind of a nice, like, take it or leave it kind of advertisement. You know what I mean? Like, take what works and then leave the rest and follow your own intuition and your gut and your self-knowledge and don't just take everything you hear for gold. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. So that being said, I focus my work with highly sensitive people, and there's a lot of them on the podcast here, and there's a lot of yogis and yoga teachers in general. I think a lot of yoga teachers are naturally sensitive. Sometimes they're more regulated because of their Mm -hmm. practice, so they don't seem to be highly sensitive, but I won't digress. How does Ayurveda recognize and understand that sensitivity within the constitution? Like, How does that generally look like? Yes. So I will go ahead and say that I also would identify as a highly sensitive person. And to back up to this moment to say that when I first learned about Ayurveda, I think it was the high sensitivity and the understanding that there are people that are more highly sensitive that I really resonated with. One of the reasons why I loved Ayurveda so much is that I was like, wait, there's other people like me? Like, hold on a second. This is a thing. Like, there's things I can actually do about this. There's a system that even explains why this exists. So it was very, like, eye-opening for me in that way. And what I'll say is folks that tend to be more highly sensitive tend to correspond with vata dosha and tend to identify with vata dosha. Now, vata dosha, vata is ruled by the elements of air, also known as wind, and space, also known as ether. You think of air and space, wind and space. You think dry, cold, variable, changeable, light can have a sharpness to it. And when I think of ethereal, if I think of space, right, that is that intuitive hit, right? You're like, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel this way. And (laughs) it was some point in college where I had to start saying, you know what? If I get a junky feeling about someone, it's time for me to trust it because it had happened enough times where it would even just be a sort of an acquaintance. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see eye to eye with this person. And then, you know, seven months later, you learn that they were like stealing from the roommate or something like that. It happened enough times that I had to sort of trust that. And that intuition 
that is spacious. You can't put your finger on why. I had no reason to know why I didn't trust this person, but there it is. So to say that vata dosha highly corresponds with that high sensitivity, and there is that mental aspect, that intuitive aspect, that aspect where you might be more sensitive to the sights and the sounds. And, you know, sometimes you're like, I just need some quiet. You might find though that yourself, you might get overwhelmed or caught up in 25 different projects or losing focus or constantly changing, right? Those aspects. And then on a physical, it manifests as, you know, irregular periods, dry skin, cracking joints, really sensitive digestion, right? You're the one that for some reason you can't eat the way that everyone else is around you. Or if you miss the meal, you're down, you're out. Though some folks can go on the other way where they miss a meal and they don't even notice, but they notice mentally, but they're not able to really notice it physically and can have a lot of irregularities in their food. But to say that it shows up in the mental as well as the physical, and that's why I find Ayurveda is such a powerful tool for folks who identify as highly sensitive, because it's not just, you're sensitive, sorry, try to like block your energy or something. No, 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 you're sensitive. Like, have you like eaten some warm food today? Like, what time did you go to bed? Could we like start to do that at the same time every night? And we actually end up with some tangible things that we can do to support ourselves physically as well as mentally. Mm -hmm. I love that. We'll get into more details about this, but mm -hmm. I love the idea of like seeing how it's being described because it really shows characteristic of sensitivity, whether you're highly sensitive or somewhat sensitive. And again, we're not saying all sensitive people are absolutely 100% Vata. We're no. saying there's a tendency to get dysregulated or to get, you know, out of balance in the realms of, <laughs> of that, in the air and in the space, right? Mm -hmm. So looking mm -hmm. at this, it felt very clear, like where that highly sensitive person kind of fits in, I find. So uh, I'm sure people will kind of see themselves into that as well. Knowing that they're not 100% all the time, necessarily only Vata, is there characteristic in other doshas that might come and thread themselves into or relate to highly sensitive people as well? Because of course, like you're not only highly sensitive, like that doesn't like describe your whole experience <laughs> of life, right? But if we stay in that, maybe there's things in other doshas as well? That's a beautiful question. And definitely, you know, most of us are not just one dosha. Of course, we are all a mixture of all three. But if we talk about what do we tend to present as, we tend to present as a main mixture of two doshas. Most people will fall that way. So the other two doshas, you know, we have pitta dosha, which is the fire. It's fire and water elements. And kapha dosha, which is the earth and the water. So that pitta, I mean, that's the sharp intellect. Like we have some things to do. They're the ones that can take control, the ones that can hold it all down, that can make things happen. So if you're someone that's maybe more of this vata pitta combination, you have the intuitive hit, you have the overwhelm, but you might also have like a, a lot of drive. You might also be putting yourself in a lot of these situations or you might be able to present as someone that can really handle it. Yeah. Yes. I'm in control. I can totally handle it. But after I'm done, I'm going to go and like lay in Rashed. my bed for three days. Yes. Yeah. And so 
because there is this fire and that drive, you might present as more of that ping pongy type, highly sensitive, where you push yourself and you fall apart. Now, kapha, on the other hand, that earthy, that water, that earth provides some more stability, right? So there's a little bit less of this push and then burnout. But that watery nature that exists in kapha, that heaviness, it's very emotional. And so you might find that you are more of the empath. So whereas the pitta vata might have the intuitive hit, but like they're ready to drop you. If you're like someone that I'm not going to trust, I'm going to drop you real quick, right? Like the kapha might have the intuitive hit, but not know how to detach themselves as an example, Mm -hmm. or they might feel a lot more relational. And so they might feel a lot of even like grief in their heart, grief being a very common emotion that happens for folks with kapha of like, I don't know how we're connected. How do I separate myself from this person? How do I help this person? Right. There's just a lot more relational entanglement that happens that ends up leading to, I might not be taking care of myself in the way that I maybe could or might know that I need to because I'm so emotionally entangled. Yeah. And so it's sort of like the ping pong versus emotional entanglement is two ways that I see it manifest. I love that. And correct me if I'm wrong, would you say the um, collapsed state of your nervous system is a bit more in the kapha side of the highly sensitive? Because we Mm. used it in the vata, like going back and forth between pitta and vata. But I think it's very common. I was just talking about this with coaching clients yesterday of like, there's a comfort in the collapse, in the detached, in the like, I'm just going to disconnect and numb. Is that more kapha-like? Great point. Yes. Like numbing, just trying to avoid the experience. If I just stay away, then I won't have to deal with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's a difference than, oh my God, I'm just so tired. I need to collapse. It's more like, you know, if I'm tired, I don't have to go. And I don't want to say that it's like more conscious because it is subconscious, but it's a little more like less in retaliation to what just happened and more, I don't know why I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. Yeah. I kind of see it in my head as like that muddy feeling. Yes. Of like, oh, yes. Like it's hard. It's heavy to like change the momentum. I'm like comfy yes. in this like warm little cozy place. Even if I am feeling numb, disconnected or negative things yes. that come from it, there's still like this comfort and warmth. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly, exactly it. Mm-hmm. Love it. I think that's super helpful. I like that we kind of went through all three because there's aspects in all of them and in all the people. Now that we kind of know that, like, why is it important to even know about Ayurveda or to know about our doshas? Like, why should we pay attention to this when it comes to our wellness? I think that's for everybody, but particularly when we're highly sensitive. Great question. You know, I don't like to say in the olden days, but in this moment, (laughs) I'll say... But in the olden days, but we have to be honest that most of us live in a way that is very disconnected from nature, right? It is completely possible to Mm -hmm. stay up with lights on until 1 a.m., right? Like in the olden days, you just couldn't do that. There wasn't the light to help you do that. So to say Ayurveda, I find so helpful because it is allowing us to actually understand the laws of nature in the ways that we may not have been taught them. 
right? Someone Mm, might not have taught us how to rest. Someone might not have taught us what these natural rhythms are supposed to be. I mean, I'm going to use the example of periods and the menstrual cycle where I'll speak to my experience. There was no idea of, hey, and maybe you should rest a little bit during your period. It was like, well, just try to hide it, go forward, you know, and don't stop. And it's like, well, you know, while I don't believe that our periods need to be debilitating, like, I don't think it should be the case that we are, you know, in pain in our beds for four days or something. I do think that it could be useful to relax a little bit more during that time to take some of the, you know, nice to do's, not the need to do's off of our calendar. So to say that we might not be taught these ways of being Mm. and Ayurveda provides us with a framework and an understanding of reconnecting to that so that we can actually be in the flow of natural rhythms again. And then beyond that, beyond just kind of thinking again about what nature is intending for certain times of year, of life, of our day, when we understand our unique constitution and the actions that different decisions have on our body, we have the opportunity to actually choose Mm -hmm. and to actually decide how we want to move forward to actually consciously participate in the cause and effect that is happening, right? Because it's so easy to not be consciously a part of that. Yeah. And feel disempowered and feel like the victim of just the life and circumstances you have around you. Exactly. And so we get to actually see, you know, oh, I did have that road trip. So yes, I have some dry skin now. <laughs> you know, it's like such a little silly, simple one. But I'm thinking of a client I was talking to this morning who's saying, I had some pelvic pain. I'm calling up my OBGYN and I hope they can do this and I hope they can help. You know, versus the conversation she was having was a very passive experience of, I have this pain. I don't know what it is. Hopefully someone can figure out what it is for me. Versus, well... I did just have a lot of travel. I have made a lot of changes. Yes, my period is coming in a day or two. Maybe that's the cause of the pelvic pain, right? And sort of being able to understand our bodies and then say, okay, maybe I'm going to wait a week before I call the doctor on this versus, you know, feeling like you need someone else to tell you what you need for your body. If you have pelvic pain, please call your doctor, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Please call your doctor if you think you need to call your doctor. But yes, of course, of course. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think because I feel like when we just say like, oh, it's wellness and health, it's not quite enough to convince us to take action. You know what I mean? Like we kind of need a little bit of an extra convincing because we don't tend to care for ourselves necessarily as well as we do for others or because it's hard to put ourselves in priority or like there's many reasons, right? But mm-hmm. sometimes we need a little extra like push. And I don't always say this because I don't know if, you know, again, it's like, it's the thing that sells Ayurveda. I mean, I've had life changing, health changing effects, but if I had to name, what do I feel like is actually the most important thing I've gotten from Ayurveda? It's confidence. It's the knowing of myself. Nice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that the way I was moving through the world was not an empowered way of moving through the world. And I was speak of Vata and speak of highly sensitive people. You know, you're kind of blowing in the wind. Oh, you want to do this? Okay. Yeah. Let me try that. Okay. You want to do that? Okay. Yeah. Let's go there. Right. Versus saying, 
that's actually not for me. No, thank you. Or yes, I would love to do that. Let me really make that happen Mm. because that's something I want. And put energy Um, in that. Yes. And being able to actually follow through on this thing that I really want. And because I know what I've decided to say no to, mm, that feels powerful. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just self-awareness alone, I believe, is at the base of every other step you're going to take to, you know, better your life. Like, that's just, for me, a general rule. And Mm -hmm. then the confidence, the capacity to tap into, like, what you need, what you want, what you desire, like, that connection within yourself is also, like, such foundational work for everybody, but for highly sensitive humans as well, just because from there, you can make a choice. As you're saying, you can make a selection and decide where you're going to put your precious energy into (laughs) instead of putting it everywhere and feel dissipated and completely like lost Mm -hmm. to the wind. You can Mm -hmm. actually like move forward in one direction because you're able to Mm make a selection, make a choice because mm-hmm. you're tapped in enough. And just to follow the thread that we used of this pitta vata versus kapha vata, mm-hmm. you know, those pitta vatas, the ones that do, 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 and then burn out, right? They might be needing to say no more. Mm-hmm. And then those kapha vatas, the ones that get emotionally entangled or numb, they might need to say yes and commit to their yes, mm-hmm. right? So just sort of saying that depending on who you are, you might need to go a little more in one direction than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're stuck in mud, you need a bit more action to pull mm-hmm. out of that. But if you're already like tornadoing around in action, you probably need to settle a little bit, right? Like it's yeah. two sides of a coin of your yeah. personality. You might be one more or depending on the people in the situation, you might tend to go one way or the other as well. Exactly. Okay, let's go into like tips or things that, actionable steps that people can do. So we've talked about food earlier. Are there general kind of guidelines that would be supportive for HSB according to Ayurveda? Mm-hmm. And I said warm food earlier. I said warm food. The word that I'm going to come back to again and again for HSP is regular, regular regulation, routine, all those R words is going to come up again and again because I mean, a few reasons, right? We have the variability that comes from that air and that wind. And because we have the spaciousness, right? Space is light. We need to ground. I think of like tethering to the earth, right? Like we need to actually have these little tether points or anchors in our day that's going to provide a lot of emotional regulation, energetic regulation, Mm -hmm. and some structure. So to use the example of the kapha, the emotional entangled numbing, I'm going to just ignore it all. But if I know that every day at 7 a.m. I got to take my dog for the walk, then I'm going to get up because I have to take the dog for the walk, right? Like, shoot, that's there. That's a part of it. Yeah. So that's one piece. Like, take the dog for the walk. And that's a great one. But when it then comes to regulation, regular sleep and wake times and regular meal times are two of the big ones that I really want to highlight. And these ones, if we then kind of switched our brains into Western science and anatomy, is that our bodies are this beautiful web of hormones that are getting secreted at different times. And particularly for folks that tend towards that vata or towards that high sensitivity, their bodies need a little more help to secrete those things at the right time. So if you eat lunch every day at noon, your body at 1145 is going to start to secrete digestive 
enzymes and digestive hormones that's going to make you actually digest your food better when you have it at noon. If you're ping-ponging around and sometimes lunch is at you know, 12, but sometimes it's at two and sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Your body is like, it's almost like your body can't trust you, right? Like, it's like, wait, hold on a second. Like, when should I secrete the hormones? Like, when should I do this? And so us by creating that regularity, you're also allowing your physical body to perform better. So it's not just, oh, good. I ate lunch at noon and that's so good for me to do. No, no, no. It's your body is going to digest the food better by having it more regular. So same for sleep when it comes to melatonin and cortisol, you know, having that set bedtime that you aim to not get too far away from is going to help you fall asleep faster because your body knows what to expect. And then you're going to get a better night's sleep. And so the next day you're going to feel less overstimulated or burnt out or sensitive to the sights and the smells and the sounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to start there. <laughs> All right. So regular time, regular Mm -hmm. meals, not just like at the same time, but also like, I know getting hangry is something for HSPs, right? So like having regular food, like you need snack, have a snack. (laughs) You don't have to wait six hours for the next meal. I love it. I mean, we, you know, Ayurvedically, we do aim to eat every four to six hours. Your digestion is going to feel good when you do that. So noting if you're doing lunch at noon and dinner at eight, yes, you're going to need that snack at four o'clock. Like, yes, please do that. But so feeding yourself regularly at those regular intervals, aiming to keep that around the same time every day is useful. You know, a lovely timing, you know, 730 noon. 5.30, super cool. If that's not something that works in your schedule, again, aim to at least make it regular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about HSBs needing to be grounded. Are there foods that are particularly more grounding than others that maybe they could start experimenting and adding into their routine? Definitely. And I am going to say the importance of, I'll say heavier vegetables, whole grains, and oil. Now, These three foods that I named, heavier vegetables, whole grains, and oil, are one that a lot of folks in different meal plans in different places think of as being not as healthy or not as helpful for them. But I want to say that a lot of the foods that we think of as healthy in current culture, greens, nuts, proteins, these are going to act to increase vata and potentially can increase that sense of not being grounded. I'm not saying that these foods are unhealthy. What I'm saying is if we're exclusively like green smoothie breakfast, you know, kale and chicken for lunch, you know, eat a bunch of almonds for my snack. And then like, if that's our meal plan, we're going to start to feel pretty ungrounded or pretty unmoored. And it's going to be very important that we include and actually include in the diet, heavier vegetables, things like sweet potatoes, carrots, even zucchini, squashes these vegetables that are not just like the bitter greens, right? Think about how they're a little sweeter in flavor than bitter. Mm -hmm. Those types of vegetables are very important. Whole grains, which I want to say it's important because if we think about a grain, right, when we cook it, it swells up, it's full of water, it's full of hydration. It has a heaviness to it. Mm -hmm. That heaviness is bringing us down to the ground. And also it takes a bit more time to digest than just that green smoothie. You know what I mean? Like it kind of keeps you a little longer 
heavier in a sense. Staying power, exactly. And if you're someone that deals, because a lot of vatas tend to deal with gas, bloating, constipation, these grains are going to help basically add bulk to the stool and help you move things through the digestive tract. So it's also helpful in that way. If you feel like you struggle with grains, start small, start with a small amount, chew it thoroughly and see how it feels in your body. But when we kind of drop some of the like, but grains are bad and actually chew them and notice how we feel when we have them, we might find they actually help us feel more nourished. Third food that I mentioned was oil. Oil is lubrication. If you have a lot of air and ether, things are really dry. It's heavy. It's going to be grounding. It's going to give us some of that staying power. And we just want to make sure it's existing there. So I aim for one to two tablespoons of oil in a meal. And again, if you're not having a lot of fat in your food, this will feel really grounding and really nourishing. Yeah. I love that. I think that's super helpful. So aiming for regularity, for grounding, for structure, and then you can plug in what you need Mm -hmm. in those categories. If we think about that as well, how can we apply that regularity, grounding, and structure if we're trying to manage our stress and our overwhelm in general? That Mm -hmm. might not be just food, but like lifestyle, general recommendations. Yes. The biggest one that I come to is the intention to not multitask. Um, The way that multitasking splits our energy into multiple places. And again, if you're highly sensitive, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of, you know, you're sitting in the coffee shop and you know what five conversations are happening. You know, like they're on like a really awkward first date. They're probably having a work meeting, right? The barista Uh is angry. Like, you know, your attention is already split. (laughs) And if you're trying to do your email and text your friend, and like work on the project you were actually supposed to be working on all at the same time. With all the notification on your phone. (laughs) Yes. Like that's going to be really tough. So noticing the multitask that is happening and aiming to reduce that whenever you can. I'm a huge fan of the Pomodoro technique. If you've heard of that for task management, where you set a timer for 25 minutes and you work on one thing for 25 minutes, and then you get a five minute break and you do that like two or three times in a row. And then you can have like a half hour break, very powerful because you said, okay, 25 minutes. It's like just short enough that you can actually do it, but long enough that you can get something done. Focusing on that multitasking is such an important one for overall stress levels and energy management. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good tip that people can start to implement right now. Yes. And I know because so many people, and I do it too, you multitask while you listen to a podcast. So hi, I see you and that can be okay. But notice what you're multitasking with it with. Because for example, I'll sometimes listen to a podcast when I'm washing the dishes or brushing my teeth, but I don't multitask with a podcast When I'm cooking, because I want to keep my energy on my food and it it takes a little more brain work. I don't listen to it while I'm trying to work or trying to be in communication with someone, right? So just noticing what am I trying to do? What am I trying to multitask? And is that actually stretching myself too thin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's also like what situations where that example of a podcast, let's say, will feel supportive to the task that I am doing. The example of the dishes is one because I might Gorgeous. not want to do the dishes, right? But if I add something sweet like music or podcast or even TV in the background, 
although that could seem overwhelming at times, it helps me get the thing done that I don't want to do that in the end, if I didn't do would raise my anxiety, right? If I leave my sink full for three days, I'm going to feel anxious about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I like, okay, I'm going to put a podcast and get all that dishes done now, then I am multitasking, but it's distracting me from what I don't want to do in a sense. And that feels supportive, right? Or situations that are more stressful, like being stuck in traffic, adding Mm -hmm. an audio book or a podcast for me is a way to almost distract me from the annoyance. Yes. It allows me more to be in the moment without yes. fighting it. I think there's a reflection to have on like what kind and when is it supportive or not supportive for you? When is it adding to your overwhelm? When is it helping reduce your anxiety, right? Like there's kind of a dance there. I think that is so beautiful, right? Because if I have an email and, you know, I'm taking care of my son and, oh, I just want to read this email so bad, like, that's not fun multitasking, right? Because I know that a sentence into the email, my son's going to want something or need something, or I'm going to not get to actually connect with him the way that I want to, right? That's a multitasking that creates more stress. And I love that as opposed to a multitasking that diminishes stress. Like, okay, apparently I'm going to be here for 15 minutes waiting because my friend is late. Let me listen to something that makes me feel happy versus scrolling on my phone or something that I actually don't want to be doing. I love that. I love that example. All right. I think we've covered a lot of stuff already. So from what we've talked about today, if there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with, if there's something important you want them to remember about today's episode, what would that be? I'm going to throw my HSP card and give you two. Because first, I want to mention one thing to just be aware of and to not overdo, just since I know we've got a lot of yoga folks in the audience, is that not overdoing pranayama is just a very important one because I think we think of it as this beautiful focusing technique and it can be, but if we are overdoing it, if you're doing Kapala Bhati for five minutes, like, which again, for some folks they can handle, but if you're struggling with that high energy and that high Vata or that high distraction, I just want to mention not overdoing pranayama and being more aware of, am I doing calming pranayama? versus one that's more activating. So I just, I wanted to-, to Same for your sure. yoga practice, your movement practice, right? Like 100%. Let's apply that to that too. Yeah, you might not Beautiful. need power yoga right now. Just right, like, exactly. No, thank you so much. And even same for meditation. You know, if you're feeling super overwhelmed, you might not need to meditate for two hours. You might need to meditate for 20 minutes or 15 minutes or something like that. So thank you so much for that, for breaking that out. But- Otherwise, I think I want to come back to knowing yourself and trusting yourself is very, very important in this work in understanding that and allowing yourself to be honest with, does something work for me or not work for me? Mm-hmm. Because the other tendency that can happen, let's use the example of the entangled kapha vata, who's sort of numbing out, is they can say, oh, no, no, that's too much for me. Like when it might actually be about avoidance, I guess is what I want to say versus, yes. So, you know, like, oh no, it's too many people. You know, I shouldn't go to yoga today when it's like, well, that actually might feel really good to move your body. It might be good to get out. It might change your perspective in something. And so using just that honesty of, okay, this might be what I want in this moment, but could I see where it might have a long-term benefit or vice versa Mm -hmm. um, that it might seem like this is a really good thing to do. of course I should take that promotion. Like, of course I should. Wait, do I want that job really? You know, do I want that stress really? So, so it can work both ways of, again, something that you maybe should say yes to versus maybe something you might want to say no to. 
look at the short term and the long term. Does this work for me? Yeah, I love it. That's such an important little extra point, right? Like to bring in. So thank you for that. Of course, I will put all your info in the show notes. But in the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you? If they want to say hello, they have more questions or they want to work with you in some capacity. What's going on in your world? Yes. Best place to find me is over on Instagram. My name is Spiro Collective, S-P-I-R-O Collective, all together, no spaces or anything, or spirocollective.com. And I do, I see folks one-on-one for Ayurvedic consultations where we do a really beautiful analysis of what's going on in your world. What are your doshas? What do I see as being kind of that pathway that might lead you to something that looks the same collapsed on my bed, but happened for different reasons. And then what are the actions you can take to start to reduce those situations and those issues? So working one-on-one with folks is what I love to do most and what I do there. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today and being here. Thank you, Erica. This is such a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general on iTunes. If this episode has helped you, you can pass it on and help someone else on their journey by leaving your review. Plus, when you leave a review to say thank you, I will give you access to our premium membership for free for a full month. All you have to do is send me a screenshot of your review and we'll get you all set up. You'll find the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 185. Now, before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. See you next Monday.